this curator in DC, she came over to my studio and she said, when I look at art, I want it to be timely and timeless. Research doesn't have to be book research. As an artist, you want it to be visually compelling. So I do want to help people especially in this kind of a context of the war, of the spring, of what's happening, of migration, of the refugee crisis, of these things that are so topical. It's important enough to spend time to help further that kind of an understanding. Helen Zuge was born in Beirut, Lebanon, living mostly in the Middle East and Europe before coming to the United States to study art at Syracuse University, earning her BFA from the College of Visual and Performing Arts. Helen currently lives in Washington, D.C. and works full-time as an artist. She paints primarily in gouache and ink on board and canvas. Most recently, she has worked with wood, shoes, cloth, and mixed-media installations. Her work has been widely exhibited in galleries and museums in the United States, Europe, and Lebanon. Her paintings are included in many private and public collections, including the White House, World Bank, Library of Congress, U.S. Consult General, Vancouver, Canada, American Embassy in Baghdad, Iraq, the Arab American National Museum in Michigan, and the D.C. Art Bank Collection. She recently was awarded a grant from the D.C. Commission of the Arts and Humanities and currently included in the Washingtonia Collection in Washington, D.C. Helen was also invited as an artist-in-residence at the George Mason University, Virginia, and Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Her paintings have been included in several art and embassy exhibitions abroad, In 2008, Helen was invited as U.S. Cultural Envoy through the U.S. Department of State to Palestine, where she led a month-long workshop with Palestinian women artists from the West Bank. This exhibit, titled Women's Art, Women's Vision, presented an opportunity for both American and Palestinian women to share their stories and culture celebrating International Women's History Month. In 2009, she was invited to Switzerland and France under the U.S. Department of State's Speaker and Specialist Program, sharing her work with universities and schools. In October 2016, she traveled to Saudi Arabia as a cultural envoy, speaking to young Saudi women artists and exhibiting her work. Her paintings have been gifted to the heads of state by President Obama and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. This was a special podcast interview, and we hope that you enjoy our conversation. <laughs> oh, all right. Hey, welcome everybody to the Design Podcast. Um, we're doing something a little bit different today. Is we're having a uh, one-on-one interview uh, with a great artist that's visiting us, and also here with me today is our curator, director, curator, director, I director. Guess of uh, the Bomb Gallery. So we're here at the University of Central Arkansas where I teach and and Brian teaches and uh, directs the gallery. And uh, sitting in the Fireside Lounge with Helen... Zugabe. Zugabe, Mm -hmm. excellent. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew pronouncing the last name was gonna be a little bit of a challenge for me, so I I appreciate that. So uh, Helen's here exhibiting her work, so we're gonna have a a little bit of a conversation about the work that she does and uh, even how that relates to design education and art education as well. So I'm going to uh, I'll let some um, introductions start. So first off, I'll let Brian introduce himself, give you a little bit of background to what he does. So I'm the director of the Baum Gallery at UCA, um, starting my fourth year. And before that, uh, I had a number of other museum jobs. Um, at one point, for about nine years, I was curator for the Arkansas Art Center. And then I also had stints at the Academy Art Museum in Easton. Maryland and the University of Maryland University College and uh, a brief period at Johns Hopkins Medical Institution as a curator of cultural property. 
And uh, so that's primarily it in terms of curatorial and being a director. Excellent. And Brian's going to be my, uh, my co-host and my color commentator uh, for today. So he's got all the details in the background and the important information. So glad to be here. You're, you're good. Comfortable? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm actually going to ask Brian to give a little bit of background for Helen, and then I'll let Helen give her introductions as well. So I got to know Helen's work in 2013, if I remember. We had a triennial exhibition at the University of Maryland, and Helen got the grand prize. And one of the rewards of that is she got offered uh, a solo exhibition along with a catalog and a reception. And so after doing that exhibition, uh, obviously I got to know her work really well, got to know her really well, doing the essay for the catalog. And as I joke around, um, curators and directors keep artists in the back of their head, almost like we collect them. So if we want to show something later, mm -hmm. especially at another institution, we kind of file back and, and figure out whose work resonated, who was great to work with, um, what are they doing now, and so on. And so Helen kind of became a good fit for UCA in part because um, one, her work has a strong narrative quality to it. And we don't always see a lot of that in contemporary art. And number two, she works across different media. So in particular on this show, there's gouache and acrylic and ceramic, and there's wood, and there's video, and there's found objects, shoes. and there's photos and shoes. So I thought that that would be a good inspiration for our younger artists so they can see that they can draw from different material. Thanks. So yeah. Helen, then a little bit of your background, uh, kind of what got you into art, uh, education-wise, what, what have you done, where have you been? Oh, don't ask me where yeah. I've been. And, <laughs> maybe an abstract bio then, right? Yeah, so um, I'm Arab-American. We talked a little bit about categories, but that's how I introduced myself. I was born in Lebanon and lived mostly in the Middle East and then evacuated from a few different wars, ultimately ending up in Paris where I finished my school course, Art Abounding There, which mm -hmm. was really an incredible um, gift. And then I got accepted to study art at um, Syracuse University. So I got my BFA oh, okay. there. Okay, kind of close to my hometown, yeah. being from uh, Buffalo, yeah. born yeah. and raised kind of in that no, area. There was no snow ever. No, never snow never in Buffalo. Snow. Everyone never, should never go during January. Well, it's too warm. <laughs> yeah, it's too warm. The, the snow doesn't stick there. No, right. no, not at all. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, And then, um, you know, I didn't want to go to graduate school. We talked a little bit about that. I didn't want to teach. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, I just <laughs> wanted to just go right out and try and do yeah. my work. Um, okay. And I wasn't sure how that was going to happen, but I had the occasion to move to Washington and um, just kind of began yeah. pounding well, how, the pavement. What does it look like, though, for uh, someone just out of, uh, out of undergrad and they're like, now I'm going to go be an artist? Mm -hmm. um, but, it's very scary. Yeah. How did, how did it work for you to get started? Does it just kind of slowly build, or is it different for every artist? Or? Um, well, I guess for me, I would say what I've learned over the years is that one thing leads to another. I don't know if you, you felt this, but it's kind of like, this is what I tell people, you never know what the situation is going to lead to as you say, down the years, kind of collecting situations kind of have a way of most times turning up something that leads to something else. And so you, either you're invited or you make a connection. 
I'm not saying shrewdly. I'm just mm -hmm, saying that's mm -hmm. kind of how life works. And um, so with a little bit of luck, you have to have some substance behind it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of like a um, little one thing leads to another. So I, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Okay. Yeah. What, what do you think then, looking back, was maybe your first commissioned or paying job as an artist? Uh, well, t well, to be very honest, my I, I got a real job right out of university um, designing um, the patterns on Syracuse China. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I was their senior designer. Okay. That was pretty cool. Um, I actually got paid for that and then moved to town, moved to D.C. And then I did um, commission work for Stark, Stark uh, Carpet. So it was more on the commercial end. Mm hmm um, but I knew how to use the paint that they did. And then I, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I thought, I'm just going to make a decision to pull that bandage off and just go for it and try and get my work shown. And I, I had a little bit of luck mm -hmm. with a gallery. And we're still in touch now after all these years. And, um, and then one thing did lead to another. People see your work. People start buying your work. And... Um, you know, it kind it is possible. Yeah, it's possible. I don't. I'm not saying it is easy at it anyway, but it is possible. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Without yeah. being a like a profession, like without being a professor or something sure, like that. Sure, sure. So, Brian, from your point of view, then you've seen a lot of artists. You've you've helped a lot of artists show their work. What has there been like a wide range then of artists that are fine artists, but they have a lot of commercial. Um, you know, financial backing, if you will, or do you see that the fine artists pretty pretty much stick to? Well, I'm a fine artist, like like Helen, and yeah. I sell fine art. So, in my experience, especially at UCA, um, our colleague Jesse Hornbrook and I did a print exhibition, and I wanted our students and anybody who wanted to come to think to themselves, "You want to be a printmaker?" So, of those 29 artists, I think that Jesse and I selected. 27 that had at least an MFA. Mm. So when we say professional artist, I don't mean somebody that, you know, either paints houses and then also, but I wanted people who most of them are professors in printmaking and yeah. they were making prints because there are a large group of artists that make a living with their work, but it may be because they um, are selling reproductions or it could be that they're going to the same thing over and over, mm -hmm. um, you know. Kiss of death. Yeah, the kiss of death. I mean, no offense, or maybe slight, but you know that one guy, Rodrigo, does the blue dogs, right? Oh. So that to me is not who I think should be the inspiration for our students. It should be people who, if you want to be a printmaker, let's look at prints. You know, prints by printers, because there was um, there was a period, you know, maybe in the seventies and eighties, where a lot of really successful artists then began to make more commercial prints, mm -hmm. right? So think mm -hmm. of all of the artists who were painters. You know, one of the most famous could be Rauschenberg. It could be any of them. Yeah. If they just started cranking out prints because there's a demand for that name and they could work with a really great printmaker. I and mean, they might be good prints, but they may not have been executed more by the artist, but maybe the artist had worked in collaboration with a print studio. And so there's a place for that, but... So I like to make a distinction between the two, even though 
at times that distinction is really blurred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of opinions come into that. Um, some uh, contrary yeah. ones too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's so uh, interesting. We talked a little bit about um, research mm-hmm. being a big component of, mm-hmm. of the arts. And I've often wondered, uh, I've been a professional graphic designer um, for many, many years. And even teaching graphic design, um, it, it's not as much, um, it, it is more so for me now today, now that I'm a part of an, uh, of an art department and not part of a design school. Yeah. It's really interesting the different uh, dichotomies that come out of that and, and how that kind of uh, redirects or deflects your teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of uh, strict design schools don't have as, as much immersion into the arts where here I'm really enjoying that opportunity to yeah. be more immersive so as we talk about the communication and the visuals you know what does it really look like and the opportunities are endless yeah. um, so as far as you as an artist um, where do you think research has has fallen for you how much does it matter to the work and how much time maybe do you put into that research even well you know research um, doesn't have to be book research but like for instance the last going on like nine, 10 years of my life, we were talking today in the gallery, um, formed around the Arab Spring, in the beginning of the Arab Spring, in, in quotations, the Arab Spring, because, you know, we Arab winter kind of now in the Syrian civil war. Um, so really, the research is paying attention to the news, also having been there, also coming from that part of the world, knowing people, um, you know, keeping newspapers, um, yeah. and possibly. And the Jacob Lawrence um, series as a whole, I really did delve into that. I mean, I knew of him when I finally came to America. I, di- I didn't study him when I grew up. So when I became aware of his series, when I first came to Washington, I was just completely enamored with him for a lot of reasons. I mean, the graphic element, he used the same kind of paint that I use, that strong you know, pattern and color to define seemingly simplistic. Mm. But even me, when I was looking at his catalog, and I was like, okay, let me, how can I, I was like, oh my gosh, that guy is amazing. You know, when you're trying to emulate, not emulate, maybe that's the wrong word, but definitely Mm. look harder at what someone has done, something like him, that is deceivingly, uh, deceptively uh, simple in shape. But you realize what a real master he was at that. Um, whether or not I've succeeded, that's a whole other question. But um, they do look deceptively simple. Mm-hmm. But it's very complicated to kind of, you know, you guys know, you're yeah. artists to get the, And we talked about that in the gallery today. The concept is there. The message that I want to get across is there. But also, you, as an artist, you want it to be visually compelling Structurally, the composition, you want that to work and stand on its own, whether or not you know what, you know, mm-hmm. we have that first and foremost, kind of, you yeah. know, unless you want to do complete, completely conceptual work. And that's another whole ballgame. But I don't really, you know, I, I don't, even though we've talked about the new materials and stuff in there, there's still some consistency in that installation, you know? Right. Yeah, right. Um, you have a lot of pattern, a lot of color. Um, yeah, a lot of work that they need and re- repetition. Yeah. Even as you said in the white helmets, you you took a look in there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
there's pattern sorry there's pattern in there as well yeah you know um so yeah and and the research and if you have a passion for it i mean this really has sort of come to be a big part of my life mm -hmm. whether even i like it or not and then once you start in a direction then people are like oh can you please talk about this can you host syrian refugees um you know, which was also something fascinating that I did. Very sad, but um, there was sadness and there was happiness there too. Yeah. So the the storytelling in your in your uh, in your works, um, and and this may this may uh, come across as being very naive on my part. No. But do you think that there's a journalistic approach to uh, art, hmm. and does does any of that research kind of guide you in that way? Well, that's, I mean, I, I think that's really interesting. I mean, Jacob Lawrence documented, like we were talking, the Great Migration narratively as well as visu visually, which very much appealed to me because um, I, I am trying to preserve what is happening now with the Syrian, just as he's done where, where students go and say, oh, okay, that happened then, that happened then. It's a documentation that you can pull into today, of course, mm -hmm. we're still having these issues yeah. more than ever. So I think it's relevant. Um, I wish it wasn't, but it seems to be a continuing cycle that we do. Um, there's, yeah. there's one difference, though, to me. Yeah. That difference is that journalists at least pretend to be fair and balanced and to present oh. both sides. Oh. And an artist mm. doesn't have any obligation to do right. that. True. Right. True. You, know, you don't have to show a balanced view on to, yeah. an attack on Syria. Yeah. Right? Right. Because there is no is, balanced right. view. Yeah. It's honest. an atrocity. I'm going to record it as such. Yeah. Mm. Let it mm. fall where it may. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a good, that's that's a very a good, good point. point to that, too. Yeah. On this topic of research, how, how important is that to you when you're, one, choosing artists, or two, even, you know, considering the work that, that is there, and I um, um, bring up the the topic of research because that's kind of my my focus right now and in, in the season that we're in on the right. podcast. So I'm I'm you know hopefully you know having some of that conversation mm -hmm. with Helen's work and then even how you look at that for young artists or aspiring artists that are right. starting off. So I'm kind of trying to figure out what the program is going to be. So let's say for example. We ended up with, um, with Joyce Scott and Helen and Sonia Clark. Right, right. All in this, all in this one exhibit, yeah. Cultural Ties. So some of the research involves what work can be made available and made available for an institution of our size with our budget. Mm -hmm. So sometimes my research is really pragmatic. And then you try and figure out, of the people doing these certain things, um, who are the ones who want to choose? Another artist who could have been in this sh exhibition, but, you know, we only have three galleries could have been Akemi Magawa, who I did a show oh. with. Oh, yeah, also I the love her. Yeah, right. I've exhibited with her. She's right. a ceramicist. She does ceramic. Oh, okay. She does fiber. Okay. Mm -hmm. and But primarily ceramics. Mm -hmm. And I knew her from my days at Cranbrook um, when I was a curator there. And she was graduating with her MFA. And again, I thought, man, her work is partly conceptual, mm -hmm. like Helen's colorful and bold and playful at times. Mm -hmm. And then she also works with fiber quite a bit. And then she also does some conceptual work. So, and this is rounding out, but uh, no offense to Kemi, if you listen to this, 
Um, when presented with the opportunity to get the work of Sonia Clark and Joy Scott from the single source, so that goes back to research. The research is, here's my budget. So it's you know, pragmatic. It's, yeah, what's what's yeah. ceteris paribus? All things being equal. Mm. Let's see if we can do this without, because otherwise I'd have to have another stop with a fine art shipper and you know collecting artists. I've done a show of Akemi's, did a retrospective. Did a catalog, so she's still in the back of my head. She's not going anywhere, mm -hmm. and I'll probably end up doing a show of hers here at some point. Um, yeah. We've uh, we've been really fortunate. You've been bringing some really fabulous artists um, into into the Bomb Gallery, um, and the 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 variety has been beautiful as well. You know, so I'm always kind of you know wondering how do you how do you make those decisions? Even bringing three different artists into the same show. But yet, when you walk through that show, it seamlessly seems to be one beautiful exhibition and body of work collectively, all from different artists. So, I'm sure that background into you know their storytelling, their commentary is really critical as well. So, one of the things that I decided because I'm not, I've been a curator since 1997, and this is not my first university setting for a museum. So, what I've decided that when I took this job was that if I'm going to do an exhibition of an artist in a certain medium, then I'm going to contact the person, the professor in that area, to see if they approve. Um, without, being, without getting specific, there was an exhibition at the bomb when I first started. It was on the books. And the medium that was represented that the bomb didn't get buy-in from the professor in that field, and I'm being vasive on purpose mm -hmm, I scratching my head sure. I thought this is their field why aren't they supporting it and I went up to that individual and I said how come you're not more supportive I thought we could have done much better so I decided now I've got enough artists in my head that so I'm, when Jesse said hey let's do an exhibition of printmaking I said to her what do you want to bring in and she goes here's my list of people I'm like okay you know I'll check them all out I'll do the research yeah, yeah. You know, okay so they had an MFA check they're professional artists are teaching you know, in a university setting, so that's check number two. Check number three, they got the endorsement. Oh, our lights just went down. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna step out and fix the lights. You just keep talking okay. about that particular thing and Should I'll be right back. Should we keep talking and yeah. Oh, yeah, the sure. Mic's sure, I'll, be, I'll okay. be right back. And we got buy-in from Jesse Horbrook. This Horbra. is life. It is. It's because you're, yeah. Oh, now you just uh, made him go back on. Just enough motion. <laughs> that's what it was. Just was enough it? motion. Oh yeah, it probably right. does after some, yeah. It's like whenever I'm right. oh, it's <laughs> back. We're so, back. So what I do, like if I'm gonna rob a bank, I'll just lay low for like hours after the thing closes and then all the lights go down. There you go. <laughs> and then they come back up. You know, I have a Can you give window. us some of the money when you rob it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so I had I had these different factors and all of them matched up. And then of course you want to make sure that the work has variety mm -hmm. and that maybe it has something um, that's different. Like for example, one of the artists we included was a woman who was at the University of Arkansas, Little Rock. Now she's in Dallas. Her name's Delita Martin. She does large scale, bold prints colorful of of african-american women typically and so there's this narrative cultural aspect yeah it's really great mm. and so when you walk into the galleries they, enormous figural power. pieces they have yeah. mm. power so i'm like okay cool and then maybe we'll look inwardly to someone who does more um intimate prints but great at what he does like you know roger bowman who is professor emeritus of printmaking here mm. and so now you add 27 more artists <laughs> mm -hmm. and the idea was that yeah, you come in and there's a great cross-section of printmaking but 
but it still meets all the standards that collectively we want. Yeah, that's it's working. Well, thanks, and and I um, and also, you know, both Jesse and I, I think did a pretty good job of kind of checking our ego at the door and just saying, let's see if we can just between the two of us put a really good show together. And I don't need another brochure on my resume. I don't, you know, I just want to just kind of be part of the team. Yeah, I want my colleagues to go and 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 think to themselves, oh man, I bet you, I bet you, Brian you know, talk to Jesse before he did this show. Yeah. Um, and I also, we, in that show, we also had a regional, had a strong regional presence. A lot of the artists came from Louisiana, Arkansas, and so on. Mm. Uh, really quick, how much time do we have? Because we're going to do this uh, interview in two segments, and we're, we're timing each segment. We have seven we're more minutes. Seven more minutes. Let me ask you, Helen, we were talking in the gallery before uh, I had to lug all this gear in here and set up, and I mentioned something about um, maybe it was the commercial imagery. Yeah, Do you, remember you noticed what I a few pieces that had this sort of element to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I seen that kind of made you stop for a minute and pause and think. So tell me about what was going on in, in your yeah. mind on that. Oh, I'm so obvious. I, and, I hate and I'm going to show some of the visuals too oh, while uh, the podcast, well, oh, cool. in the video portion. So make sure you check out the video as well. Uh, some of the work will be shown. So I'll kind of like integrate that in yeah, he uh, and that. show some of the yeah. imagery as well. So yeah. Um, well, yeah, because you were sort of looking at my chiclets and the um, uh, share coke. Yeah, and, um, yeah, those specifically sort of pop artish, very commercial. Of course, I refer to also Lichtenstein as well mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. cartoon, which is one of my favorite. Me pieces. too. Yeah. I know the thought yeah. bubble, and me too. I love that. And um, so, yeah. But see, the the use of the word like commercial for an artist gets that other like n not neg. Well, hmm, negative. I don't know. Just like okay. What what is he saying that it's like, like how you were talking about yeah. printmaking, like reproduction, or am I cheapening the work? And I I think this is a question that artists have to always mm -hmm. deal with, but also artists well, have my, to survive. My quick answer in my context is no, okay, not good. not at all. Oh good. Um, I just found, and it's also interesting to look at the body of work that you've put up. And to see that variation, but mm. similarity as well. Yeah. yeah. So there was a. a um, so between the chiclets and the Coca-Cola, and it's more of that. You just had a wonderful commentary between, you know, uh, American advertising, yeah, and that cliche of advertising globally, and, yeah. and what that kind of looks like, yeah. So yeah, so I'm just curious, oh, it's, you know, it's on that. fun to me to sort of twist things around. Mm -hmm. And we talked about a sense of humor, and in those pieces, chiclets is pretty pretty intense. I mean, the meaning behind that is very, very, you know, tragic, actually, if you will. Oh. I guess but the way that I can tell. Oh, you, did, you didn't pick that up? Okay. No, no. I, oh, I didn't. interesting. I'm going to have to go back now and yeah. look at yeah. the piece for a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. It's like whether or not you can use commercial as part of your language. And recently, it failed spectacularly. And I don't know if any of you follow pop culture, maybe as closely as I do, but Kendall Jenner, Kendall Jenner of the Kardashian clan mm -hmm. did a commercial about protest and then she handed somebody like a, a generic beverage or something and, uh, and Twitter tore her a new wow. one. Well-deserved. Because, because why? Because it, it was, um, it was a, an ad for a soft drink, but she was 
at a generic protest where the signs were total gibberish, and then she sure, handed sure. one of the police or one of the peace officers like a Coke. Like a Coca-Cola. So I think it was a Coke uh, or maybe it was a Pepsi. Uh, and then, and basically, and, and, and the protest was things like, get along. And, <laughs> right. Right? And so the point I'm trying to make is yeah. not that, um, is that you can tell, I mean, I think instinctually, whether or not the use of this kind of commercial aspect is is genuine or not. So mm-hmm. in your case... Mm-hmm. It's very genuine. Yeah, well, you included Yasser as a reference to Yasser Arafat, I assume. Or... Well, I let that up yeah. to, to people that decide. They have to bring their own... You know, there was a guy there today who definitely had his own ideas of what was what in my work and mm-hmm. his own background. And I talk about titles and research there. I mean, research, getting back to your thing, titles are very important to me. Um, I mm-hmm. do want yeah. to... Ha- I, they are. I yeah. really, really do think about them. And I, I take off from... Is it time? No, I'm just wondering okay. how our time and then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. About sorry sorry about no, that. No, no, sorry that's okay. That, yeah. I, mean, I didn't want your thought to be, no. to be cut off well, here. Well, I, I, you know, a couple of things have been named after songs. I was corrected on the name of the person. It was Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall. Mm. That was a rock band, if I remember correctly. Pink Floyd? Yeah. yeah. And they had, um, they had yeah. a couple of hits, I think, in the 70s. Yeah, one or two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it took me a second to get, like, wait yeah. a minute, he knows who that is. Even I do. <laughs> right? But it's I, like, got, I said Ryan, it was you the know, Rolling right? Stones, but it was, like, not. You guys. Oh. Are... That's another rock yeah. and roll band that I remember. Mm-hmm. The Rolling Stones. <laughs> You've heard of them, too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, when, when we're going to take a short pause. Okay. Um, if for all the listeners and the viewers, it'll be, like, seamless and it'll be amazingly beautiful. Uh, but when we come back, <laughs> okay. I want to talk a little bit more about that idea of, yeah. of titles mm-hmm. and um, you know letting the viewer kind of take away that experience yeah on sure. their um, from their own experiences yeah did that make sense yeah I think it, it did, did. Yeah? yeah yeah I think so I do have something to say about that yeah okay I do. all right yeah. so uh, we're gonna we're gonna restart some electronics here and technology and and then we're gonna get right back into the conversation all right we're gonna uh, get right back into the conversation here I'm gonna uh, go back to Helen mm-hmm. and ask you to then titles where, yeah. okay where do you want to start at to talk a little bit more on titles or the context and the viewer pulling out from their own experiences? Well, I think it's kind of kind of both, actually. Okay. I know for myself, um, you know, but it's so interesting. Well, okay, let me try and... Uh, for myself, I do appreciate a title because it helps me figure out, try and, try and get into a little piece of what the artist was trying to do. Okay. And maybe the artist was... He really didn't want you to get to know what he was doing, and he puts untitled, or he doesn't care what you think. He's just doing it for himself, and maybe that's more the case. But I actually am thinking also about the viewer a lot. Mm-hmm. From, from my standpoint, I, I'm not doing the work. I am doing it for myself, but I'm also doing it for a wider audience. It's important to me. I mean, that's what I do. So what is the point of me sitting in my studio with a kitty cat and, you know, creating all this work and never getting it shown, which, you know, we need the opportunity. Um, I do want that. So I do want to help people, especially in this kind of a context of the war, of the spring, of what's happening, of migration, of the refugee crisis, of these things that are so topical. And affecting all of our lives mm-hmm. here abroad, 
certainly in the Middle East, um, in, in, uh, in a lot of different ways. So I feel like it's important enough to spend time for the titles to help further that kind of, not education, that's mm-hmm. kind of the wrong word, pedantic, or, uh, but an understanding. So you can connect. If you do connect, then that creates an empathy for that situation or that person. So you're not so separate from what I'm trying to say, which is, which is important to me, and it feels like I felt like I succeeded. Okay, yeah. Um, and the baggage part, I mean, you bring your own into what I'm, what I'm uh, exhibiting. I, ex- I, I did a, a show on the Arab Spring up at your college with Matthew, and um, the opening was that night. We drove up from D.C., and um, he hadn't had time to put the labels on the wall. It was fascinating. First, I was like, wait a minute. That's really, like I've just said, it's very important to me, the labels. How, and I didn't have my series up there. Um, how are people going to know what I'm doing? And so we were doing the gallery walkthrough. The labels weren't on. And my father, as I said, he grew up in Damascus. And um, when they, they, and they were in Lebanon after that, and they were fleeing uh, during World War II, when the Turks were uh, bombing with the Vichy French, and they had to leave across this big river called the Latani River into a safer area. And they traveled all day to get to the river. They had to go on a horse to cross the river because it was quite um, a volatile river. And when they got down there, all the village went down there. When they got down to the river, um, my grandmother, my Lebanese grandmother, Teta, realized she forgot the documents and identification, which is, even till now, ID, that, you know, it's, it's, so she sent daddy all the way back. All the villagers were going away from the shelling. She sent him back all through all of that to mm. get this steel tube, a steel tube like this, contained the documents that they need to, to go on. And, you know, at some point in their move several years ago, uh, he came across that tube. And it's an amazing steel-heavy tube. And he yeah. said, I found this. I know you, you should have it. Much to my sister's chagrin, I got it. <laughs> and inside is his diploma from Syria under the French mandate stamp. It's really cool. It's part of history. But there's, yeah. you know, and... Anyways, the point of this story is, is that there was the steel tube and a guy, a student at the university there, looked at it because there were no labels and talk about bringing your own self into it and your, yourself into it. He said, oh, is that a pipe bomb? He just saw it. Yeah. He didn't know what it was. So he looked at it and said it was a pipe bomb. And I, 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 I just was really astounded, and I thought, well, this is really interesting. What is he thinking about of Arabs, of terrorism, of making these quick associations? Just because that looks, I guess it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, mm-hmm. I was offended, but then I thought, well, this is such an interesting moment to learn from, you know? Yeah. Um, so... But talk about somebody bringing their own background into work, and we all do it. Right. You know, we right. all 
you know, get in there some way or another and try and, and figure it out. So I think it, it's, a, it's an interesting part of art, you yeah. know, and art making. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when I look at the, the one um, piece that has the dining room set, what's mm-hmm. the title of that particular piece? Eat the News. Eat the News. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much do you, Brian, then have this involvement in saying, Helen, here's what I would love to see. Can you bring X, Y, and Z? Is, is, is there a moment of that? And yeah, if so, yeah. So, how do you how do you make? So this sounds crazy. Again, I've been doing this long enough now that I I go to the pragmatic first. I have a limited budget, so I can't ask her to let's say gather up work from collectors, especially from a foreign country, right? So I'll start with what do you have in your studio that's available, and then see if you can make a show. Now that's different than when I worked in a larger institution. You know, if I when I worked at the Arkansas Art Center, and they had a let's say a six and a half or seven million dollar a year budget, a lot of which went to exhibitions, then you could ask for things that are crucial to the vision. But if Helen said no, that's traveling somewhere else, or that's been sold in the sold Library of Congress, or the Library of Congress, right? Is when I was at the Academy Art Museum, I I borrowed a couple pieces from the Hirshhorn, and one of the things they did. Sorry, Hirshhorn people. But they, they, we've insulted so many people today. They, they, right, they charged me to make a crate for a Raphael Sawyer. Fine, that's standard. But unbeknownst to me, they charged me three hundred dollars for crate disposal. Oh yeah, you can't. You gotta destroy it. Yeah, I would have loved mm-hmm. that crate. So, so I start with the pragmatic. Hey, Helen, what's available? And then she'll go through a lot of it, and then I'll try and put it together, and then I'll mock it up in my head mostly about how would this look for an installation. So she wanted to have the, the refugee series. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's great. We'll play off the Jacob Lawrence idea. And then, you know, how many are we going to get? Well, let me think. We're going to run it down this wall. And those are the, those are the print. Prints? They're not prints. No. Uh, only, only one or two. Not because they were making. crucial. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because in general, Brian wants the real, real the, thing the there. The real pieces. The real, yeah. and, and, yes. let me, and let me make a distinction. The distinction is that printmaking, which is, you know, is... An original work of art that may not yeah. be unique, right. which is different than, say, a gigolet yes. print, which is a fancy French word for reproduction. Um, in fact, there's actually a running joke about that, about the word gigolet means spray. Or spit, yeah. Yeah, And so the French think of gigolet as like how a dog might spray. Mm. <laughs> it's true. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we're going for original as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but in this case, Helen, Helen said these two are really important to the series, and her gigolets are virtually. They're really, uh, yeah, it's hard for even it's me really, to know. They're, they're, they're beautiful. Yeah. They're beautiful. And yeah. there are only a couple of them and they're yeah. signed editions. Out of like 26, so. Yeah. 20, yeah. yeah, like 20. Yeah. So I keep the additional look. And, and then I, 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 I've asked Jesse this and I ask a lot of uh, printmakers this. Um, you know, it, it's the same um, uh, woodcut or whatever you're using to make your print from. But in my eyes, it, every print it's is different. different. The registration is off, oh, yeah. even if it's just a minuscule right. amount. Yeah. You know, the impression of the ink is different. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so or the saturation. Yeah. yeah. So limited prints, numbered prints, I think are are really uh, nice pieces as well. Mm-hmm. So so you've got to get all this work together, and that that dining set again. I I'm bad with names. The title Eat of the that news. piece, Eat, Eat the, the News. news. Uh, did, did you know of that piece or? No, so I knew the works that I knew of. Yeah, you I, hadn't exhibited that, but then I, I showed it to him. I'm like, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll take that. That yeah. sounds great. And, and again, 
this is an interesting phenomenon. We had a, an artist from a previous BA, BFA named Colby Black, and he actually had a ceramic piece where he got a table and put a tablecloth on it. <gasps> he did. I did mine before him. Maybe. <laughs> Colby did it about two years ago. So oh, yeah, it was before that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. So, so anyways, I thought that'd be, uh, an, I thought it'd be just kind of kismet again to have something yeah. like that. Yours was more found object. And, and what I really loved about Colby's is he made his own tablecloth, this Matisse oh, like figure on it. Yeah. Really wow. gorgeous. So I thought another version of that. And, and um, so it's funny how if you're at a place long enough, these little themes will run. Yeah. We had a good run with rabbits too. We had Interesting. A, right? Yeah. The last one these felt rabbits. And then right now as we speak, there's a group of frolicking uh, <laughs> steel rabbits outside. I think they're steel. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Beautiful sculpture piece. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I don't know if the word zeitgeist is overused, probably. Yeah. But, mm. s- but the, the... Eat the news. Eat the news. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have students, by the way, by week 15, which is the semester's length of our classes, yeah. where I might actually finally remember their name. Uh, so eat I'm the news. So, so I got names. two or three minutes in and I've already, I've got it. Eat the news. Eat the news. For now. Five minutes from now, it'll be gone. Yeah. But that piece fits really beautifully into the larger discussion of the body of work as well you know it does you know especially with your background yeah. and being um born in the middle east and then you know being raised in different areas of the world and then america and and having that yeah. as part of it and even what's kind of going on in the news today oh just, yeah you know yeah it's it's um yeah that piece refers to so many different things um, like also our consumption of news and a 24-hour cycle and so on and so forth that wasn't my prime motive but my prime motive of that piece was actually okay we just go about our lives like while we slept while we sleeping now right now while we're sitting have this conversation and comfortable air conditioning have water to drink and so on and so forth right which we don't take for granted but i think about it a lot and they're not they're not they're dying they're this they're that i mean not even just there everywhere mm-hmm. you know um and the other thing about that piece that um so i'm of a certain generation that your parents tried so hard to um to get you to sit down for dinner and you know and your parents would turn the tv off right you turn the tv off we're gonna have dinner yeah and and have yeah. this thing called conversation now yeah. it's yeah. now it's you turn the tv off you turn the computer off, you turn your phone off, and you come to the table. Yeah. So this idea that Helen did yeah, this piece with napkins and, and wine glasses and candlesticks mm-hmm. is, is like a, a reference to a distant memory. Mm-hmm. And so these, this idea of this news is going to fade away. And, it's, and she's doing it with newspaper. And, and I love that, too, because, again, of a certain generation, we might pick up a newspaper. But I know the kids are coming to see the show that are in college. They don't read a newspaper. They don't read a newspaper. Oh, yeah. So that, the piece, that I didn't even think about. So the piece is, it, for them, is like this time capsule. Yeah. Well, for us, it's... Oh, my gosh. I know. I talk about September 11th, and just assuming that everybody went through it. Mm-hmm. It certainly, in fact, not, not to interrupt you, but I mean, it's just like, then at the end of one, one university, I was, it was like, well, one of the professors said, came over, well, do you realize that some of these people were like three or four? And all of a sudden, it hit me that, yeah. oh, my gosh, no, it's like... Where were you when Kennedy was shot? I mean, I was too little, but it seems that it's the same marking for somebody yeah, right. like my mom's age. Right, right. You know, they all knew, you know. Sure, what, sure. But, I can relate to that completely because yeah. I was born in September of 68. 
So oh, you had Kennedy to me oh, is like and Martin I, Luther I, King. all I think of is newspaper articles I've seen and yeah. what's on the news. Yeah, you know the the little snippets they show yeah. today. Yeah, you could think about right. it. Right, but nine eleven, I knew exactly where I was. Exactly, right. exactly, exactly, where I was. and that um, yeah, yeah, and it that was um, re that remind me then about eat the news mm -hmm. because at our dinner table. We would sit down and my father would turn on the news oh. and we would sit and eat dinner. You'd have to listen. And we to would it. be listening to the news. He wasn't like, you know, nobody this talk. Is, I can't hear the news. Yeah, Walter Cronkite. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but it was definitely, you know, we'd have small talk, you know, while the news was on. And if it was a big, important story, we'd all have to stop. He'd so make that, you yeah, stop. He's to like, listen. wait, wait, wait. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah. you know, get then back you into it. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And mm -hmm. then, um, you know, even the even the words that you use, eat the news, um, it you know is kind of putting a little bit of a. Um, I don't want to use the word satirical, but well, it, you know, is, it is. Yeah, it but is. then you think about um, someone saying things like fake news, you know, and it even broadens that discussion. Yes, uh, even and further. this piece was done way before. Well, not way before, but certainly before he was in office. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's. So does it change? Does it change the piece then? According to the viewer, if the viewers, well, all they can remember is fake news. Well, see, you know, this is such an interesting perpetual question. Like, do you want to knock down the, the statues that represented something to who and that? And this ongoing conversation mm -hmm. that I'm sure is very prevalent around this area. Um, but it, it is like, so, okay, that was what was then. And now we come with our eyes and say, well, that was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, how do we address that? You know, it is... Um, I think um, who, this curator in, in D.C., she came over to my studio and she said, when I look at art, um, I want it to be timely and timeless. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. I, that was the first time I heard that. And I thought, well, this is really a very easy way to think about it. And it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's hard to make a piece that is timely and also has... Uh, longevity to be able to speak like can I just say again because I am in love with him um, Jacob Lawrence you know that work it was of a certain time it talked about a certain event mm -hmm. that carried over many years but um, it it is still timeless and still talks to our day today you know yeah. Um, I, I mentioned this today, Brian already heard, but the 60th panel that um, Jacob Lawrence painted, um, the little caption um, said, and the migrants kept coming. And he painted that in 1941. And so here we are all these years later, repeating, oh, well, repeating yeah. and repeating. Um, so, uh, you know, Kind of sad, yeah. kind of interesting that we make the same mistakes yeah. over and over again. And there's so many wonderful pieces that you have over there that do hold that conversation. Oh, good. You know, uh, I definitely felt that. Good. Um, even in the the pieces that are more representational of you know advertising. Yeah. Uh, in in you know its truths and values and and what that's mm -hmm. what that's worth. Um, uh, so. Using, you know, continue using it as an example, yeah. um, eat the news. Mm -hmm. For our young artists today mm -hmm. that are, you know, trying to find their way then uh, and express their moments and what they're going through. Yeah. Uh, any 
any advice for them for thinking about the work they're creating? Mm -hmm. What I so it's it's very different for graphic design yeah. and teaching students the difference between um, you know commercial work and you have a client with a message and an audience and you have to get that audience to create an action, right. which you can also say can be the same for fine art in a way. Um, but the but they are so different, but they're also together at the same time. You know, I've, I've had eight episodes where I asked the question, art and design or yeah. art versus design? Yeah. And that's been a really interesting conversation. Right. Um, so kind of with that kind of set aside then, for, for young artists, like, well, what, what do I make? And I think that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Graphic design is easy. It's like you make what somebody asks you to do right. and you try to communicate the message they ask you to very particular things. Right. But for a fine artist, that's not, that's not black and white. Exactly. Yeah, so how do, they, how do they make some of those choices? Well, like today, uh, when we did the run-through, the gallery run-through, um, there was a young man there. Um, is he a student of yours? Okay. Maybe he might have, uh, I don't know. But anyways, there was a, a young student there. Um, and and it, when they could ask a question, um, he said in some of my explanations and talking about what I think is important as an artist, what I'm trying to do. Um, and I say trying, you know, if you succeed, good. But, you know, the bad stuff you hide in the closet somewhere. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's my advice to young students. Hide it. Never hide show. it yeah. No, but... He, he felt very um, sort of empowered by something that I said with regards to exactly your question. And uh, he was just going to go back in the studio and kind of rethink what he was thinking about in terms of being, and I'll, I'll use this word, more authentic mm -hmm. to himself. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, um, was, he was talking about how to draw that line between what political messages are out there. He's a young African-American. He faces his own kind of situations as I face my own, well, our own situations um, and how do we address them. And some, somehow he took from the body of work that I did and also to how I was speaking about it, almost like a, a license to go back into the studio and um, kind of rethink his agenda mm -hmm. that he can create something that's true to himself and and share his story. And I told him that is the most important story, is your story. Whatever your story is, that's what we want to hear because you're only you. I, mm -hmm. You know, you don't have my story and I don't have your story and I want right, to hear right. your story. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it goes back to the narratives too. The other thing I was thinking about too, you mentioned graphic design, like didn't, didn't the graphic designer Rand do the old UPS logo? Yes. So, and it had it had that the the rope that you then tie at the top, right? Yeah, is a square box like the old the two loops, twine, twine kind right? of oh, string bow. Yeah. With. And yeah. then his his logo, which was timeless, so he yeah, thought, was redesigned <laughs> into yes. more of a shield. And UPS oh. isn't delivering these these twine packages of brown paper oh, anymore. Yeah. Right. And oh. In fact, you and I had this conversation. You can't even find brown paper. <laughs> yeah. Brown tape. Yeah. So let's say, for example, that somebody's inspired by Helen's work, but they want to be true to themselves. Well, Helen's work is inspired by Lichtenstein, who's passed away many years ago. There's a Coke bottle 
not sure. a plastic bottle, mm -hmm. right? With right. the old, the old fashioned design. Yeah, the, the kind we used to drink out of. I don't think any of these students have had chiclets. They exist. No, they Do they still exist? I, yeah, I think they still exist. But you, know, you remember chiclets, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know what I'm saying? So what if somebody said, well, I'm, you know, yeah. you can't, True. You, I would encourage them to use products from their own generation and even yes. make the technology sure. from their own generation. So I, I think it'd be pretty funny, though, if somebody else came and did a, a, a chiclet piece or, and you know, even the thing about Lichtenstein is, is comic books. Comic books are so niche now. It used mm -hmm. to be ubiquitous yeah. for young people yeah. just to read comics. But now it's not so much unless, mm. unless you're really into that community. Right. Yeah. So a lot right. of the things indicate what I would say collectively is our age, not their age necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So. But, <laughs> but you know, they clicked into it. They got, yeah. I think they did. Yeah, I they mean, did. even though it was sort of some separate, and I'm, you know, luckily they did. And just like you got clicked into Jacob Lawrence, even though he wasn't of yeah, your generation. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yeah, so you can do it, but you have to make a conscious decision to make sure it's genuine to your experience. And for yeah. you, it's because he was so influential to you. Absolutely. You know, so uh, not that you had any kind of, you know, memory of, of coming up from, you know, the, you, you were part of that migration, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. No, I certainly was not part of that migration, but also big, I, uh, my feeling of empathy and being able to identify yeah. with what's going on is because we were brutally having to leave from two wars and one coup. No, yeah. Not voluntary. No. It was you're going and you leave everything behind so that though I got to go in a plane or we came to America on a ship. So it was a little different than crossing the desert and borders and people who don't want you and then living in a camp for two, three. I went to visit it. They're having children in that camp. Wow. The, the ch child is being born in that situation. But imagine that. I mean, you guys are parents. I'm not. Sure. I don't have children, but you know. Anyways, yeah. it's yes. something else. So. That's insane to think about. Yeah. It is the, insane, but that's the truth. They're being born. And telling those stories and telling those experiences mm -hmm. firsthand as an artist is really important. Thank you. Uh, and y your, your stories, I'm, I'm just, I love them. First, first moment that I walked into the gallery, I was like, oh, this is really wonderful. Good, and, and, and you didn't even know anything about me. No, right? No, I cool. haven't. I haven't heard of uh, your work before, and now I'm like, ooh, you know, Good. I have a, I have a new, uh, new artist to okay. follow. Means a lot. Well, yeah, thank yeah. you. It means a lot to me. That that See, means a lot to you. You could put, you put, a, you put another artist in your head, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, so so we're talking about context, and we've talked a little bit about making, mm -hmm. just to make. Let me throw this at Brian really quick. We only have a few more minutes, but. Um, Artists that just make, right? Mm -hmm. they, they exist. They're, they exist. They're, they're out there. Um, and I'm going to use this artist's name, and I know that this artist does not make to make. But one could look at his work and think, oh, you made that. That's great. Peter Pincus. Yeah. Right? Beautiful ceramic pieces. Yeah, gorgeous. But, you know, they just look like an object that's made. Any reflection on on that? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a place for different, different things. Like, so maybe Helen now as a narrative artist is, more of a rarity than, than mm. conceptual, abstract, um, that kind of thing. But Peter's work is not just about form and color, but I also love his production process. Oh, true. Yeah. So he, he builds sectional molds and puts them together as opposed to throwing clay on a wheel. So Peter, uh, upstate New York artist. Yay, yeah. Right. Yeah. upstate. Yeah. Upstate New York. Mm -hmm. So he has a lot to offer his work um, also plays off of previous forms. 
So he's looking uh -huh. back. Well, there to, you go. Looking yeah, back mm -hmm. to other. Mm -hmm. He's looking back to other forms. Yeah. Some royal, some mm -hmm. opulent, some utilitarian. So I, you know, what I love as a program, and what I what I'm trying to do is that when you walk in to the Baum Gallery from one exhibition to the to the next, that it's a new facet. Yeah. So Helen's work is narrative, and maybe pessimistic, and works all up a bit, a bit because the the Syrian War is hasn't ended yet. You don't feel any hope in there. I don't want to change the subject from you. But, um, no. Yeah, I think I think I do. No, I do. You could. Yeah, yeah, good. And, and but there's and there's hope for different reasons, like yeah. the strength of women. Of course. You know, that's I mean, right. Testing their will isn't necessarily a great thing, but if their will's tested and they overcome it, yes, right, precisely. So, yeah. Whereas Peter has a laser focus on form and color in one medium, yeah, just ceramic, yeah. And so he doesn't break off or branch out or... He would probably be upset if we categorize him as being, you know, but... A one-man show. He branches off in smaller measures, is yeah. what I would say. Because yeah. his style has evolved over the years. So his... And also, I think he wants to improve. Mm -hmm. Like, his works are more sophisticated in their forms and their very color patterns. Very sophisticated, yeah. yeah. When you first see them, they're very simple... Deceivingly, looking objects, yes. but deceivingly, yeah. yes, because mm -hmm. there's nothing about them that is simplistic yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, and he's wholly original, cool. as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. not seen anything like that before. Yeah, uh, seeing his work, I gotta study his work. Do you, do you ever make to make? Um, do I? Do you so make to make mean yeah. I'm just doing it for my myself only. I don't intend this to be exhibited. Sure. Um, or, to be honest, just to be playful. Yeah. Playful. I don't even know how to have fun anymore. <laughs> I, I, you know, someone said this gallery in Watt, DC, they're like, come on, Helen, let's just have a fun show. I'm like, fun? What does that word mean? I don't know. First of all, what I'm doing is so intense, like the, well, the yes. subject matter. Yes. And, you know, yeah. I go to bed with it and I wake up with it and I'm in the middle of the day or I'm thinking about it or every, you know, and um, it's, it's, it, it's, it's heavy, you know, yeah. it's really yeah. intense. So, the other thing with just to make and make is the time factor. Mm -hmm. And then so at least if you have exhibited like here, this is not a commercial gallery. It's a museum and, yeah. you know, very well respected and so on and so forth, which is super good to be putting on a CV or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it has its own value if you want to look at it like, like that. Yeah. So just to make to make and then I'm not trying to pay my rent or to get a notch in my belt uh mm, to the answer is no i don't really have that time or that luxury yeah. maybe i wish I, think, I would i think that's a big key as as we get older yeah the, you know to, to spend that time on it or yeah. you know to find the moments to do those things yeah so you've talked a little bit about um well we've all talked about how even your um the visit here, even yeah. the work in your gallery here, mm -hmm. as, has affected our students even to start thinking about the work that they're doing, the context yeah. of their work doing, the, the, so. the commentary, the expression, uh, their own experiences. Um, what about making to make for them? And this, this is where we'll kind of end it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and how would you, would you tell them to make to make just to have fun? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, when you say fun, there's a difference between the fun and make to make. So yeah. if, if let's just say playful, experimental, 
just maybe experimental. I can think about it as that that rare painting, that lost one, the the Van Gogh pool party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was done in the late 1880s. Yeah, uh, yeah. and he broke away from his traditional palette and included, um, you know, one of those red beach balls, kind of like yeah. the the swirling sun of of um, of the Cypress painting that he did. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so in all seriousness asking that question about you know making uh making just for the sake of making experimenting uh practicing your craft so uh you were you were saying some wonderful things Was about I? uh okay. about that uh to to help students kind of understand what to think about that and then we got cut off on the recording so jumping back in here really quick i don't know if you'll remember verbatim wouldn't that be amazing? But uh, as best you can, can you talk a little bit about that make, make, just make to make for students? Make to make. Well, I think that's the, the beauty of being in school. They're mm -hmm. here. They're yeah. learning everything that you guys are teaching them. So I think that's the time for experimentation. And then hopefully something will sort of click like it did for me, the more painting side of it as opposed to anything else. And then they just, I think um, it's important for them to still experiment and make to make, um, the, the problems come in really when you have to support yourself. Right. It's not you as, know, as an artist, this is the, you know, unless, unless you have a job and then, and you're, you know, you're, that job is paying your health insurance, for instance, yeah. and you don't need to, you know, you have something else covered to pay those, you know, food and rent and so on. Right. And right. you have the liberty to do that. Um, go for it. I would. But I, I don't, I honestly, for me, at this point, I don't have time. Yeah. I have another commitment and another deadline. I'm not saying yeah. that I'm cranking it out. To the contrary. Mm -hmm. But something needs to be um, sacrificed a little bit. Right, right. I do hope that I can retain, like, my authenticity and the fun in what I want to do. Like, yeah. it excites me. Like, I'm going into the studio and what I'm working on is exciting yeah. regardless of what it is i mean i hope to retain that yeah so i guess i didn't ask this earlier then mm. um if you ever want to bring in a new medium or anything like that is there some experimentation and playfulness early on before you know think of how it works for the piece well i mean in there there's some breakaways you can see i'm mostly a painter but mm -hmm. i you know as i was saying today that some sometimes what you like for me, I have to see it in my head first. I really, really do. Mm -hmm. I don't just like, you know, my work is not abstract. So it has to be kind of there figured out. Um, but the more um, the installations, the white helmets, there's some element to figuring out as well and sort of picturing first what I want to mm -hmm. see. There are some accidents that happen yeah. for sure um, that are sometimes good, sometimes bad. But I mean, um, I don't think artists should be scared to try something. I when I started doing some installations, and I'd never really done them before, but I was super passionate about them. I really like, okay, I'm going to be brave enough and show this. And they started getting good recognition. So here Brian's like, I definitely want some of your installations, which was a big validation for me that he respect that work as well as yeah. my painting. It's That's a big validation. You yeah. know, when you have a big curator and, uh, you know, an institution that wants that work that you felt was, yes, quote unquote, experimental only because that isn't what I trained in. That's not what I'm known for. Mm -hmm. you know? But you have to, like, get out of the box, too. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the white helmet 
uh, yeah. piece. What's the title of that one? White Helmets. White Helmets. See, you and, remembered. Yeah. <laughs> that one was what's a little bit easier to remember because it's White Helmets. Uh, eat the... Eat the news. Yeah, eat the news. So, in white helmets, what's the predominant shape or or thing that stands out for you? Well, the white helmet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. me too. It's weird how hard to talk to you. Yeah. Do you know what else I seen in that piece though? Uh, not to not to lengthen our conversation out too far. I did, yeah. but then I also had this envision of the um like the american worker you know yes for osha you know everyone has yes. to wear that white helmet now you know uh, yes can i just quickly yeah uh, sure, it's so sure. okay when i was working on that on that installation when i was getting the stuff and i like ordered it from you know some site <laughs> and it was all like the construction worker and all that stuff so i was going around and thinking and um you know a bunch of construction workers were coming by and they all have those helmets. It's ubiquitous. They all have those helmets. And, and, and as I was passing them, thinking about my installation, and I don't know if you know the background of what my hel- white helmets represents, uh, which explains to students today, but it's uh, the white helmets farmers and grocers would put oh, them sure. on, mm-hmm. go into, well, in Syria in particular, that's where, okay, okay. yeah, so the wood bomb, the building, then these people who knew nothing about rescuing would go into the building and try and drag out survivors and also drag the dead out. What would happen is when they were in there, the planes would come back on purpose and bomb them more. Hmm. So I wanted to, because look, they're heroes, right? And I wanted to elevate them and put them up like a serious painting that you would see in a museum to honor them. And so when I was passing the construction workers, that's what's the background there, but passing the American construction worker in Washington, D.C., building this new building, this new thing, brand new, brand new, brand new, it's all about brand new. I'm talking about destruction. Yeah. And and I'm talking about a completely different way of looking at what that white helmet, and you as an American being here, you see that you have your whole identity and your whole baggage going back into that white helmet well my white helmet is completely different but i thought about it in a new way just this like moment when you're thinking and past those guys with their lunch and their helmets and building a new building in my neighborhood yeah it's for a new occupancy it's for a brand new thing it's a new office this is something new and future looking looking towards the future where yours is in a way just a memorialized it's a a memorial And it's it's destruction, yeah. you know. Um, it's interesting. It goes back to our conversation on experience, you know. And y- yeah, what, what you each bring. of us kind of bring to it exactly. Uh, and yeah. then to be willing enough to look at a piece of work, look at the artist, look at their background, their experiences, and then try to understand to that deduce. from a different perspective. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think I think that gives our our students that um, are thinking about that a lot to consider with their work and i liked what you were saying about um oh my gosh i just just uh, left my brain again um the about part. their experiences about um right. the things that are important to them now uh oh, and yeah, not to be afraid of using that and, mm. and and not using all those iconic right yeah i mean it's, it's okay to mind the past everyone does it and that's great but um 
maybe maybe white helmets don't resonate with them. Maybe we, you know, maybe it's something else um, that resonates with them. That could be another found object. So it doesn't be as dramatic as you know, kind of the, the martyrdom, mm -hmm. right? This white flimsy helmets. You're gonna go into a bomb building with yeah. the possible expectation to be bombed again. Yeah, that struck me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of these things don't really provide much safety. No, not under these extraordinary circumstances, right? I've always been struck by that. Yeah, I mean, it's like this—the tiniest thing that you can do. Right. And um, but it's desperation. I mean, it's it's desperation yeah. if you hear people screaming and you're trying to also yeah. get. <clears throat> and and it, it's a lot of times it's your own family in there. Right. But yeah. You're going to do whatever you can do to get them out. I think the I think the white helmets also. Um, I think that kind of gives them a unity of identity, right? They're not random. In other words, it's kind of like they're putting on a uniform. Yeah. That's what it, to me, mm -hmm. especially. It is. Because you don't, if, if truly you're trying to save someone who's screaming, you don't wait and get your white helmet first either. Absolutely. Right, but you do have it and it's nearby and you carry it because, yes. and maybe, and maybe part of the white helmet too is you want that image to be seen internationally and globally so that the, the, it identifies people as deliberate. Yeah, it gives and they became right. the they, white helmets. They became they, white helmets. There was a documentary. Yep. Also, but they, I mean, they became something. They have an advocate. They go out and speak for. And many people thought it was propaganda. Many people thought, oh, they just made up this all up, and it's it's not. Uh, you know, they're just, you know. You have to have something that unifies this group mm -hmm. for the yeah. one sole principle, and so yeah, that's become really kind of strong symbolic. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it is a it, uniform. It's interesting how the how the conclusion and us coming back to this conversation a little bit more due to some electronic uh, technical <laughs> glitches brings this conversation mm -hmm. back around mm -hmm. to this idea of, of research mm -hmm. and not only research as an artist but even research as a viewer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in taking that moment mm -hmm. to really kind of go into the artist's background yeah. or see the environment and that's our history. Right, right. Mm -hmm. You know at least it's one thing to be curious to look at art, to love art, but also to be curious about art and its commentary and what it's telling us about our our culture, our current times, mm -hmm. and you know that voice of uh, are we listening to each other's artists even? Are we listening? Are we doomed to make the same mistakes? Are we just going to repeat it all yeah. over again in twenty years? Will someone look back and say, "Oh, the Syrian migration here"? Oh, yeah, I, I'm in this one, too, just the way Jacob Warren. That series isn't finished, but I will. And I, when I do it, I will probably, uh, maybe this is pessimistic, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe we won't repeat the same things. I think we're pretty much bound to, but. Yeah. yeah. For some tough, reason. tough conversations, yeah. but art gives us that vehicle mm -hmm. to have them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Helen, thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate the time that you spent. Oh, me too. It was really um, interesting. Great conversation. Brian, thank you. Yeah, yeah huge. Thank for, you. For being here yeah. and, and adding um, those important details, the seriousness and the uh, <laughs> comedic relief yeah, uh, that it. we all need. Yeah, <laughs> you for sure need it. All right. This thank is, you. This thank is you really both cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Now we're done. Bye, audience. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found at designdedux.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com, where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. 
The Design Geeducks podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore deduct on Facebook as Design Deducts Podcast and join us on YouTube at Design Deducts for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore deducts. Once again, thanks for joining us and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.